On this episode of Destroy the Shield Generator, James asks, What would change if Chewbacca spoke English? Are we certain that the British Empire didn't stretch into the Star Wars universe? And are Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen brothers? Plus, the final segment of Star Hall Wars Mork, where we complete the trilogy that we've been building over the past four episodes and give our beloved story its satisfying and beautiful conclusion. All that and more, starting now. So, a glimpse behind the scenes. Okay. Before we record... You and I usually kind of game plan. Like we talk about upcoming episodes and things that we're going to do, right? Sure. Yeah. It may not sound like it, to be honest, <laughs> most of the time to our audience. <laughs> and to but, be fair, yeah. we never talk about what we're about to actually record. That's generally the case. Yeah. Very rarely yeah. have we discussed a question ahead of time. I remember actually when we were like planning this podcast, I think we had sort of this grand ideal vision where you and I would pick a question way ahead of time and we would like do our research. We would rewatch relevant episodes of television shows. We would come with like notes and Wikipedia pages bookmarked that none of that happened. You, you don't, here's my notes. Oh, James, those look like coupons. (laughs) Just because it's a podcast, you can't get away with those kinds of lies. Those are my notes, listeners, and Joseph is lying. Okay. Well, anyway, yeah. what's your point? <laughs> my point is we were talking about upcoming episodes and how next week, spoilers, we're going to, or I'm going to, or however it plays out, we're going to watch the original Star Wars holiday special. Amazing. Can't wait. And I have this mental block where I call it the Ewok special, mm-hmm. but it's not Ewoks. In fact, it is Wookiees. Wookiees. So to go full circle here, I thought of Wookiees and I thought of a, a great a great question that I, I want answered. And I when I say great question, I don't actually mean great. I was I was about to ask you to define, you know. It's not it's not a great one. <laughs> I feel like we come into every episode and you're like, now this one is a good one. And it's always <laughs> why do all the clones sound the same? And I'm just like, oh my gosh. That is a good question. No. I'm I'm yes. still I'm still of the belief that that was maybe the dumbest question you've ever asked me in any capacity. So, um, true story, my wife. So I, I, I'm, I'm not super vocal, like in public and like, hi, nice to meet you. I'm James. I have a Star Wars podcast. Oh, you're not? I have a new job. No, no. And I have a new job and my wife just outed me to my boss that I have a, a Star Wars oh, podcast. What? I didn't know this. Yeah, he's been having a lot of fun with me. Oh, man, that's amazing. True story. This is a brilliant, respectable man. Yeah, I've met him. He is yes. He is a good guy. And, and, we're I, not, and Chris, we know you're listening. We're not just <laughs> saying that because we know you're listening. <laughs> the truth is, if he's listening, he's only listening to roast me. One. Let's but, just, and, and let's also clarify, if he is listening to this podcast, he has presumably made it through over 11 hours of Destroy the Shield Generator to get to this point. So yeah, I think he, he may already have. Oh, maybe right wow. now he's catching up. He's actually also on this FaceTime call. <laughs> <laughs> he's listening live. <laughs> True story. He thinks that the Why Do the Clone Wars clones all have the same voice. He thinks that that's a legit question. I, okay, two points. Number one, amazing, amazing that he has brought that up with you. Just the fact that that's a situation that ever existed (laughs) is bringing me holiday cheer. Um, (laughs) Second point, why? I don't get the question. It still has not clicked for me. It doesn't make any amount of sense. Mm. Let's not rewind and go back there. I'm just saying. All right. Okay. All right. All of this said, 
Wookies. Wookies. <laughs> and this is not a great question. Like the clone question. Didn't clone you just say question. it was a great question like three minutes ago? I said it was a great question, and I said, by great question, I mean it's not a great question. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And then we got into the whole clone voice thing, which was a great question. <laughs> this is more of a fun thing to imagine. Okay. And it has kind of a what-if effect. Okay. The question is, what if Chewbacca spoke English? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I'm just at a loss. Yeah, this is not a great question. But it's fun. Because like, you kind of know what he's saying throughout the movie because Han Solo is like, no, Chewie, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do this. Sure. Right? But instead of like, and then Han is like, no, Chewie, I did brush my teeth. <laughs> what? what if instead of the grunts, Chewie would be like, hey, your breath stinks, Han. And then what voice would he have? Like, who would his voice actor be? Like, mm. this is just, it's fun. Okay. Okay, I'm getting on board. And then I guess the follow-up was like, would there be any change in the plot? Or would it be better or worse? So, like, sure. there's kind of layers okay. to this question. Okay, okay, okay. So what if Chewbacca spoke English? To lay ourselves a little bit of a foundation, I have one sort of opening question. And it's, you know, do all of the Wookiees speak English? Or is it literally just Chewbacca? <laughs> Oh, that is a great question. Like, is Chewbacca bilingual? Sure. Let's go with yes. So it's yes to which one of those two options? That all Wookiees or that Chewbacca is special? He is bilingual. And all the other Wookiees are not? Not all of them, but like most of them are not. Just some, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, here's why. Okay, I was kind of afraid of that answer. Then, no, he's okay. not. They only speak English. Let's go with it. Well, okay, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here's my thought. If Wookiees are capable of speaking, in, well, in Star Wars terms, the language is called Galactic Basic. But anyway. It, what? <laughs> I'm moving on. Just I know what you're going to say. A, getting a pumpkin spice latte. It's basic. <laughs> yeah, it's called basic. It's the name of the language that, like, it is the common language around the galaxy. Huh. Because they don't have England in, uh... right? They don't have, like, the British and England. You've never realized that? Uh... Oh. Are you today years old when you realize that England doesn't exist in Star Wars? The nation of England, the empire, the, all of that. You know, the suns never set on the British Empire. Did you know... That, I'm just going to ignore that. Did you know... Plural suns. That was a, I said suns, like plural suns, because they're in multiple galaxies. God, and yeah. No, I even got if it. they're just on Tatooine, there's two suns there. Shining on the tat cats. I got it. <laughs> anyway, like I said, I'm going to move on. So did you know, for what it's worth, Star Wars authors are not allowed to use, I guess, what you would call Earth-based language? So to be in canon and to write a Star Wars story, you cannot use, for example, you cannot use the word earthquake in Star Wars. Because Earth isn't a thing. Yeah, so it's just like a tremor. Yeah, yeah. They would say Tatooine quake. No, I'm kidding. They would say like a, they would, I think they actually <laughs> a tat call quake. it. A tat quake. A tat shake. <laughs> no, they would actually call it, I think, a, a ground quake or something, right? They have to, they have to almost like take, yeah, I don't know what the term is for that, but you know what I mean. So it's called basic. That's where I was. <laughs> it's not called English. A basic shake. A basic shake. I'm mixing things up now. Just continue. Okay. I'm lost. Here's my point. <laughs> if all of the Wookiees, if, if all of the Wookiees can speak Galactic Basic, Chewbacca isn't necessarily unique, and the Wookiee species is not necessarily unique compared to other species. And they just become, because like, think of all the species in Star Wars, and most of them speak Basic and can translate with humans. <laughs> so it's not like, to ask what would happen if that happens, 
I don't think a lot changes. It just things become less ambiguous when you're speaking to Wookiees. Hmm. That's kind of the whole answer, maybe. Hmm. So for that purpose, may I propose, uh, you know, it's probably a funnier situation and a funnier answer. If no, the Wookiees do not speak basic, but Chewbacca is just this language prodigy that he's like the first Wookiee that could ever speak basic and communicate with others. Like, like that's yeah. a, that's a more interesting question to me personally. How do you feel about that? Yeah. I love it. Okay. So how does that change star Wars? How does that change the story? <laughs> what if, what if, <laughs> what if Chewbacca has like this awful dialect, like Jar Jar Binks style? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Masa Chewbacca. No, not Masa. I don't like that. Edit that out. <laughs> it's not getting edited out. Sorry to say. <laughs> yeah. He has a really bad dialect. It would probably be a deeper voice, right? Yeah. You think? Like a James Earl Jones. I was, gonna, I was about to say James Earl Jones um, would be amazing. A, maybe, maybe, a, maybe a Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's like super dignified. Yeah. He's all, Hello, Han Solo. That's my Morgan Freeman. That doesn't sound like Morgan Freeman. It sounded just like him. Mm. What if it's like the parrot from Aladdin? I've never seen Aladdin. Uh, well, that's a problem. I need you to fill no, me in. it's not a parrot from Aladdin. It's the parrot from Lion King. What's his name? Gilbert Gottfried. Oh, wait. Is Gilbert Gottfried the name of the parrot in The Lion King? Or is that the character that voices the parrot in The Lion King? It's the human voice actor that voices the parrot. Could you imagine if it, like, Gilbert Gottfried didn't voice the parrot, but if they just named the fictional parrot in the animated movie The Lion King, they <laughs> named that character Gilbert Gottfried? That'd be, like, as ridiculous as, say, Haley Joel Osment being a character in a Hallmark movie. Ah, oh, who would do that? That'd be, that'd be insane. Yeah. Hey, just for full reference, this is Gilbert Gottfried. I know who he is. Do you, though? Yeah. Because you asked weird questions after. That's my job. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I know who he is. I, I know what he sounds like. He's, it'd he's be a funny comedian. if that was him, but that's not just realistic. That'd be amazing, yeah. So it's a deep voice person. Morgan Freeman's at the top of the list right now. Morgan Freeman. Maybe like a, what if, if we're going down like the, the dignified route, maybe like a Patrick Stewart? Patrick Stewart. You know who that is, right? Yeah, that's the um, Gandalf, right? No. Yeah. Patrick Stewart's Gandalf? Isn't he? No. Isn't that Ian, Ian McKellen or whatever? Ian McKellen. <gasps> You're right. Oh, my gosh. These guys look like Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen could be brothers. They cannot be brothers. <laughs> so like, different yep. looking. If you shaved every hair off of Ian McKellen. <laughs> He would look exactly like Patrick Stewart. What a sentence that was. Hey, there, Patrick Stewart. Let's go with Patrick Stewart. I could see Patrick Stewart being the voice of Chewbacca. <laughs> Super dignified. I would not expect that from a big hairy oaf. Mm-mm. But that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of amazing. That would be super fun. Okay. So what changes? What happens? Look, I don't think that, like, the vibes between Han and Chewie are as solid as they are currently. How come? Because there's, like, the charm and, like, the... And then Han just yells stuff back at him. Like, that's charming. That's funny. We're drawn to that. Well, sure, but you're speaking from the audience's perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to say what would, what would actually happen... What would occur differently in the story? Mm-hmm. Do you know what? They actually might be less efficient. Hmm. Because... Like, Chewbacca grunts twice, and Han Solo gets, like, a paragraph out of him. That's true. So, like, the Millennium Falcon's about to fall apart, and Chewie grunts a couple times, and Han knows exactly what he's saying. Whereas Patrick Stewart would be, like, <laughs> going on some Macbeth <laughs> soliloquy <laughs> about a wrench. Okay. So the Millennium Falcon would blow up, and they'd all be dead in the mouth of whatever that snake thing was on the asteroid. And then Luke goes to Cloud City. No, he doesn't go to Cloud City because his friends are already dead. Do you think that they would have even made it that far? Like, do you think in 
in like in solo, like the movie, could they have even accomplished the heist that they did and survived Dryden Voss and whatever Woody Harrelson's character was named? <laughs> <laughs> that one, the guy, Woody Harrelson. Uh, Gandalf, that's the one. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what? Chewbacca was like a beast in a cage. Yeah. And if he spoke dignified English, he probably wouldn't be a beast in a cage. I mean, probably not. Although the Empire still enslaved, like, whoever they wanted to. Yeah, they'd use him as, like, a lawyer, though, or something. <laughs> that's so specific. He has no <laughs> qualifications as a lawyer, but it's like, you've got a really dignified voice. <laughs> Grab that briefcase and go. <laughs> My thought process with that went to, like, no, he wouldn't just be enslaved like that because if he were captured in like in a court of law, he'd be able to represent himself well. So I'm like, oh, he should be a lawyer or something. So that's how my brain works. Because the Empire loves courts of law and justice. They do. No, they didn't. Uh, I'm pretty sure that there's like a whole Law and Order SVU set in the Galactic Empire. No, there's not. Well, then we should write it. Oh, okay. All right, second segment idea. Brighten that one down. <laughs> Do you think that Chewbacca having a dignified Patrick Stewart voice in Galactic Basic would have changed any of his early relationship getting to know folks like Leia or Luke or later on Ray and Finn? Because th those introductions would probably have gone smoother. Because if you think about it, Chewbacca meeting each of those people, it's pretty rough around the edges. And Han has to do a lot of explaining of like this, it'll rip your arms off or, you know, like whatever. I feel like those introductions would have gone maybe a little smoother, which could have been beneficial. Do you know, I like to imagine that he's still like English doesn't change his disposition. <laughs> so I like to yeah. imagine that like he's a very still frank just way, furious. Like, I'm going to rip your arms off. <laughs> He I'm going to rip your arms off and beat you in the head with your own arms. Yeah. But of course he's like, you know, he's like cussing. Like, you know, it's explicit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's like, but, but it's a dignified Patrick Stewart English accent. So. So totally appropriate. Yeah. They're not even mad about it. Yeah. Like. Still a kid's movie. Yeah, exactly. Leia and Luke aren't even upset. They're just like, hmm. They, they feel so much respect. You've got a point. Rip, rip those arms off. <laughs> I, would, I would love for you to rip my arms off. <laughs> <laughs> so he would rip their arms off, and you'd have a bunch of armless people. I mean, to be fair, Luke lost his hand anyway. So, I mean, it's not like they couldn't <laughs> fix that. That's true. So really nothing changes. They're just, <laughs> they just all have robot arms. That's the only difference. <laughs> the whole rest of the saga, they, everyone just has robot arms. Yeah, and Chewbacca has a voice. And a lot of extra arms. Yeah. Vishnu style. Vishnu <laughs> they're, style. They're, they're not like plugged in. They're not. They just duct taped on and just kind of dangling around. Yep. That's pretty gnarly. That's really gross. Yeah. That's almost gross enough to be in a Clone Wars episode. So, so then we should be glad that Chewbacca doesn't speak English. Yeah. That is basic. Because that is the natural result. Yes. It would be interesting to. You know, thinking back to episode three with Order 66 and Yoda being on the planet of Kashyyyk with all the Wookiees, when that happens, ha being able to have Chewbacca maybe perhaps articulate with words, <laughs> hey, little buddy, look out. There are troopers right behind you arming their blasters. Yeah. Luckily, Yoda made it out okay, but... Chewbacca being able to speak English would have um, <laughs> made that a little less perilous, perhaps. You know, everything we've named so far has been a plus, and I'm wondering if there's any downsides to Chewbacca. <laughs> wondering if there's any downsides to Chewbacca learning how to speak Galactic Basic. So here's what we need to happen. And this special set of skills is bound to intersect with our large swath of listeners here. So... You just watched a recut of all of the prequels where they take all these different parts and like make their own thing. And I've heard of other people who do that 
with Star Wars content as well. Yeah. So one of our listeners is sure to be skilled at making recuts of movies. And also, you know, this intersecting skill set has a great impersonation of Patrick Stewart. Mm. So naturally, what they need to do what you need to do if you are that person. It's Chris. go through re-edit all of the star wars and do a voiceover of yourself as patrick stewart as chewbacca and everyone's gonna love it that would be so jarring (laughs) (laughs) especially considering that the physical movements of chewbacca as he talks is mostly just mouth wide open like face (laughs) face to the sky and it's just going to come out as this perfect, <laughs> articulate Patrick Stewart voice. And, and English is bound to take longer than just his grunts. That's right. So they'd probably just have to like edit him and like have him freeze for a second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. Or you speed up oh. the Patrick Stewart voice. Yes. <laughs> Same result. <laughs> Either way, it, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So, James, we are back. We've been spending the past couple of episodes, every other episode, in Star Hall Wars Mark, which is a sec- – or sorry, Star Hall Wars Mork, as we established two episodes ago. That's right. Yeah. Because that's better. It's better. It's just better. <laughs> so we have been writing Hallmark Christmas movies that are set in the Star Wars universe, and we determined two weeks ago – that we were, instead of making separate movies, in typical Star Wars fashion, we're going to make a trilogy. So A saga. A saga, if you will. So nine movies. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> At least a trilogy. I think at this point we're just going to be calling it the Accountant Trilogy, which... So exciting. Which is so Star Wars when you think about it. And romantic. Very romantic and very Christmas. <laughs> Trifecta. The trifecta. All three. I got them all. <laughs> Every box has been checked. Oh, gosh. We're so good at this. Yeah. So let's <laughs> really briefly, let's really briefly recap our first two movies, and then we can start the process of concluding and finishing out this trilogy uh, with part three. Do you want to provide recaps? Do you want me to provide recaps? What do you want to do? I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. I need you to provide me with the recap. <laughs> I remember that there is a planet. There's a bar. Yes. It's going to go out of business. Yep. There's an accountant who hates Christmas. Yep. And he was in the Empire. His best friend got killed on the ice planet Hoth mm-hmm. on Christmas. Life day. Life day. Thank you. And he saves the bar. Mm-hmm. falls in love with the barkeep, mm-hmm. but she discovers that he was in the Empire, and they don't fall in love because of that, but then they end up falling in love because Grandma says nothing is more important than life day and love, and that's the first movie. Yeah, I, yeah, you nailed it, honestly. And then the second movie, they're getting married. There's a cousin involved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Grandma says nothing's more important than love and life day. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, let me let me iron out in in a minute or so just the 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 details. Um, the first movie is well, this whole trilogy takes place on the planet of Bean. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, of course. Uh, as as you specifically requested, James, that is spelled B E A N. So funny! <laughs> I love it. It's so good. <laughs> oh gosh, the planet bean. <laughs> it's a whole planet. It's one thing if there's a city called Bean, but the planet called Bean no. makes you think that it's shaped. It looks like a bean. Yeah. 
That's uh, what I picture. That's what you it's picture. It's a bean planet. It's a bean planet, yeah. We <laughs> we haven't determined the name of the city that they're in. Should we just call it Bean City? <laughs> is there a better is there a better name for the capital city of the planet Bean? Lima. Lima. Lentil. Lentil. Legume. Legume. I want to make sure that we are in, in, in all things that we do in these segments, these Star Hall Wars Mork segments, I want to make sure that they are fitting squarely in the cross-section of the Venn diagram of Star Wars appropriate and Hallmark Christmas appropriate. Now, this is easy from a Star Wars perspective because everything's got a super weird name in Star Wars. So, like, go for it. What is a Hallmark Christmas name of a town? It's always like Christmasville, isn't it? Yeah, I was just gonna say, Life Day, Life Day Town. So Life Day Town, it's got to be like a random, like abbreviation. So it's not like literally Life Day <laughs> Town. Yeah. Life, li- um, hmm. Life, Life Dayton. Life Dayton. Life Dayton. <laughs> life Dayton on the planet of Bean. <laughs> This is too good. If it wasn't for Hallmark, we'd go Bean City. Bean City. Oh, man. That's pretty tempting, I gotta admit. Anyway. No, Life Dayton. Life Dayton. So. And the Bean Bar. And the Bean Bar is the is the locale, <laughs> yes. Our main character, played by Candace Cameron Bure, is uh, named Inasaw Bless. Yep. She goes as Inno for short. Yep. She lives with her black grandmother. <laughs> you're gonna be, you're gonna lose it at every single sentence of my of my summary. <laughs> Nelder, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. Nelder is old and her grandmother and black, and she <laughs> has like adopted Inno after her parents were killed by the Empire, and uh-huh. then you know. Nelder started the bean bar, but Inno took it over because Nelder's old now. <laughs> One of the things that the two of them pride themselves on with the bean bar is sort of the festive nature of life day and the season. So they decorate the bean bar for, for the holidays. They go all out. There's plenty of spirit. They love life day in life Dayton. And... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so one day, and and as you mentioned, I, I believe the bean bar is like in trouble. It's financial trouble. One day, a like a smuggler comes in. There's a bar fight and like a fire. Inno and his name, by the way, his name is Kick Brival. Yeah, he's going to kick some Brival. He's going to kick some Brival. They, uh, Inno and Kick end up sort of helping each other put out their respective situations. And so the fire and the bar fight are taken care of, and they're the only ones, like, left in the bar. Uh, so they get to talking. They kind of fall in love. And you mentioned sort of their main connection, which was Kick and his calculator montage, his climactic yep. accounting, you know, montage where he saves the bean bar of its financial troubles. Eventually, uh, this is the main conflict. Kick admits to Inno that he himself had once been a part of the Empire. Yeah. And this causes a big sort of rift between the two. Um, and they actually think to themselves, like, this is actually just over. There's no recovering from this. But Nelder, as you mentioned, convinces Inno to say, look, there's nothing more important than love and life day. So go get that man. And they kiss and the movie ends. That's, that's movie number one. Yep. Beautiful. Movie, no- movie number two. Uh, I've got the chills. <laughs> you want to close the window? or? Uh, I'm going to close my spaceport. Ooh, that's not what they're called. You're thinking of uh, viewport. Viewport. Dang it. Yeah, space spaceport is where ships like land. Yeah, that's where Kick and Inno kissed. Was that the spaceport? Yeah. Well, uh, no, that's, you're thinking of the second movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Let me. Okay, here's the second movie. An Accountant for Life Day 2, An Accountant Wedding. I'm in. It, it takes place the following year. Kick and Inno are engaged to be married on Life Day. Yes. Coming up in about a week or so. Yes. To help sort of oversee the planning a little bit better, Inno brings her cousin, whose name is Kared, in to look after the bean bar. 
And another element of this is that Inno is spending a ton of money on the wedding and Kick is like coming at it from an accountant's perspective of like, how do we pay for this? Anyway, Inno, after a few days, returns to the bean bar and finds that Kared has changed the place. There's new decorations and it's just all different people and stuff. And she's really upset because she's taken down all of the life day spirit that her and Nelder have worked so long to establish. And so she confronts, you know, Kick and Nelder about this and Kick goes to investigate sort of what's going on and actually determines that Kared is laundering money for the <gasps> Imperial Remnant, which is not a good thing. Oh, no, that's so bad. Kared. Kared. How could you? Unbelievable. So, on Life Day. On Life Day, no less. The week of Life Day. So Kick brings this to Inno. Inno refuses to believe him and tells him to get out. He storms out. Inno feels terrible talks to it about Nelder and they both reflect on sort of all their life day memories together that are really cute and filled with sweaters and, you know, (laughs) sweaters. And uh, Nelder says her, her line once again, there's no more important thing in the world than love and life day. So Inno is convinced to go find kick again before he leaves the planet on his ship, the nightingale. And <laughs> and so they find each other at the spaceport. They decide they just want to get married right then and there. And, but there's no, like, pastor. There's no officiator. So Haley Joel Osmond comes up. <laughs> <laughs> not even a character named. Yeah, that's not even a Star Wars character named Haley Joel Osmond. Like, it's actually the human Haley Joel Osmond. And so they get married right there. The Bean Bar Band is there to play. (laughs) (laughs) Is there to play music. And and the second movie ends with Uh, them dancing cheesily. Yes. I would have it the other way. Yeah. Is there anybody here who could marry these two? Hey, it's Haley Joel Osmond. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's where we're at in our story. We have concluded two movies. They are officially married as of, you know, right before the credits roll. And so now we're in to the writing process of the third movie. This is where I officially turn things over to you as sort of the Hallmark movie expert. I want to ask you, first of all, like I did with the second movie and maybe even the first movie, what would you say are like the Hallmark essentials for a finale Christmas movie in a trilogy even in particular? What are things that need to happen in part three? All right. Well, there's a couple of things that have to happen. One is they very firmly follow the pattern of first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby in the baby carriage. Okay. I mentioned that in the left, last episode. So it's got to start with a pregnant Inno. She's getting ready for baby to come. Is it fair to say, by the way, that this movie takes place a year after the second one? So it's life day again. Like it's life day season. Look, are you even asking that question? Yes. Like this isn't happening in like whatever, you know, Space July is called. Oh, gosh, no. You know, Space July, (laughs) the Star (laughs) Wars version of July. (laughs) (sighs) There's only two things that matter, Joseph. What are they? It's love and... It's it's love and life day. There it is. All right. So it's life day. So this this is another year later. Yep. Baby's on the way. Guess what baby's due date is, Joseph? Uh, The day after life day, and this is the huge dilemma that they're facing. I hate you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Baby's due on life day. The baby is due on life day. Yep. Next, you need a lot of like gender stereotypical behaviors. Ooh, okay. So Ido needs to have like really weird cravings and be super hormonal. And what's the guy? Kick. Kick. Kick Brival. Kick Brival. Although, is it now Inno Brival? Yes, Inno Brival. Okay, sorry. That's that's different than what you were saying, but I just want to make sure I get the details. So Kick, so Inno's got like the weird cravings. Kick is like freaked out about being a dad. Okay. 
right? And he's like, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. You know, and we have like some baby classes involved, right? Okay. And, and it needs to be like over the top, like stereotypical, like super cheesy. Next, the cousin's got to come back. Okay. Kared is coming back. The the return of the Kared. Yep. But they don't trust him, but it's got to be for a good reason. And he's like been, it's his redemption. They don't trust him and it's, it's for a good reason. They don't trust him. No, they don't trust him, but he's coming back for for a oh. good reason. He's like, Hey, you guys don't understand this thing that's going on. Okay. The bar is going to close if you don't do this. And they're going to be like, whatever, you're trying to launder money again. And he's like, no, believe me. Oh. This is his redemption. That's like the other story. Okay. Yep. And this is important to know. He not he's not just saving the bean bar. What is he really saving? <gasps> he's saving life day. Oh yes. Wow. Ah, oh, amazing. Okay. And I'm gonna be honest here. Yeah. That's pretty much the plot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, the Hallmark movies, the plot is is kind of thin to begin with. And you know how sequels, typically the plot tends to get a little bit weaker? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we're running on fumes here. Okay, okay, okay. I'm cool with it, though. Okay. I have a couple questions, though. These are, these are more practical sort of narrative questions that I feel like they got to be addressed. And I'm hoping there's some sort of either a Star Wars-y or a Hallmark-y way, preferably both, to sort of, you know, include these uh, or at least, yeah, answer these or something. First question. It was a pretty big setup in the initial movie and it, ha- it comes up again in the second movie that Inno is force sensitive. Oh, yeah. Is there an opportunity for her to use that, perhaps, hopefully, in some climactic In labor. Fashion. When you push, it's like, push, force, push. <laughs> it's just a giant gust of wind. <laughs> Pushes the baby out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Space Santa is born. The what? chosen one. What? Time out. <laughs> Space Santa? Where did you think this was going? <laughs> um, t- okay. W- okay. Rewind. Santa Brival. Rewind. Okay, sorry. Okay, let's actually start here. Because Th- this is more of a plot thing and... Like, this is more of a practical plot point rather than how does this one element fit into the plot? Let's start with the question, at what point in the movie does Inno give birth to the child? Is it early? Oh. Is it at the end? End. Absolute very end. Very end. Yeah. Okay. What's the, what's the kid's name? Is it, you're telling me it's actually going to be Santa? Yep. It's named Santa... <laughs> Brival. <laughs> okay. Is there any amount of follow-up to that? Is there any degree of like, and here's the significance, and here's what he grows up to be, and here's what or is it just like Santa Brival is born? There has to be some sort of a thing at the end where like maybe the doctor says something and like kick and you know look at each other and they're like, oh, to kind of th- make you think, like, sequel? <laughs> so the doc... I can't imagine what could possibly be said by the doctor that would warrant that specific reaction. The future of what? Like, what about... What are they excited about? What's th- what is their reaction saying? Sequel? That's not a story thing. That's That's a... It's not. Well, okay, so let's get the story established then. Yeah. So, I have an idea. Okay. The conflict of the cousin coming back is to save the pain bar. Okay. But really, it's to save life day. Here's what it is. He knows from his work with 
the Empire Remnant, mm-hmm. I believe is what you called it. Imperial, but you're you're correct. Okay, thank you. You're correct, but you're actually wrong. But here, you're correct. Yeah, half of the words you said were correct. So they put a hyperspace highway mm. past the planet in the first episode, right? Yes. But we don't really know why. It just kind of happens. He discovers that the Imperial Remnant did that on purpose. The New Republic we wrote did that. The New Republic did that, but it was actually Hydra. I mean, the <laughs> New Empire who was infiltrating it. They, they made it happen somehow with monies because they wanted to skip that the planet Bean. Okay. Because they hate Life Day. <gasps> they they want to destroy Life Dayton. They want to destroy Life Dayton. Okay. Okay. This is coming together. And to destroy Life Dayton, they're destroying the Bean Bar. <laughs> Explicitly. <laughs> and he's discovered that plot and he comes back and he needs Kick to do his accounting and spreadsheeting to save the bean bar to save life day and stop the empire. So he, okay. Wow. That's a lot. (laughs) So (laughs) this is narratively a, um, it's one of those puzzles. A masterpiece. Sure. Okay. So (laughs) in the second movie, we talk about Kared laundering money for the Imperial remnant. Yep. He's caught by Kick and Inno, and it's kind of vague, I think, at this point, at the end of the second movie, what happens to Kared, but he's caught, he's in trouble, the family doesn't trust him. We can assume he is, like, exiled from the family or something, like he's told to go away. Is he Uh actually turned into any authorities, or is he just kind of, does he just go away, you know? He just goes away. Okay. The family caught it, caught him, but like he wasn't arrested for crimes. Okay. So then he is able to come back. What has he learned in that time away, do you think? I think he's learned that there's two things that matter in life. Oh, okay. Love and life day. Okay. Love and life day. And by love, I mean like family love okay not like romantic correct yeah okay 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 because love is a big term it's like a catch-all sure sure so so Kared is able to learn love and life day the two most valuable things in life right yeah his return to the planet of being <laughs> i'll never not laugh at that never is literally never his return to the planet of being takes place at what point in the movie? Early? He's in at like the 12 minute mark. Okay. That's pretty early. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not like the first, it's not like the opening scene, but it's pretty early. Yeah. That's what introduces really the main sort of conflict of the movie. Yeah. Okay. It's like everything seems like it's fine and dandy, and then Kared shows up. Perfect. Okay. I want to talk about this is more of a Star Wars conversation than a Hallmark conversation. But how does this work from the perspective of the hyperspace lane and stuff like that? Like, what knowledge does Kared return with specifically to say, actually, this hyperspace lane, actually, maybe this is it? You just tell me if this is cool or what you would change. The hyperspace lane that was opened was actually opened by the Imperial Remnant and not the New <laughs> Republic. They did it to spite the planet of Bean and life dating. <laughs> and so I, since I, Kared, have found uh, the value of Love and Life Day, I <laughs> want to help use my sort of influence in the Imperial Remnant to delete the hyperspace lane from their archives or like something like that. Yes. Or mm-hmm. to redirect the hyperspace oh. pipeline right to the bead bar. There, not even to celebrate to, life. Not day. even to the planet, but actually like <laughs> through the roof of the bean bar. <laughs> so ships are just crashing into that longitude and latitude coordinates constantly. <laughs> got it. Okay, no, I like that. So he comes back. He's like, guys, 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 I've got a plan. We're going to redirect this hyperspace lane to 
Bean. <laughs> to Life Dayton. To, to Life Dayton. What does he need the family to let him in for to, do, to allow him to do that? Because now they're like the most influential people in town. Okay. And we can say maybe the Imperial Remnant has started to set up shop on Bean in Life Dayton. So, like, he's got to get back into the city. Uh-huh. He's got to let his family let him back into the city so that he can infiltrate Life Dayton's Imperial Remnant. And boom. Yes. Boom. He, he, does, he does two things. He redirects the hyperspace lane to go through the planet sector of Bean. And the second thing he does is he phones the New Republic and is like, there's an Imperial Remnant on this planet. Come get him. Even better. Yeah. He makes the Imperial Remnant fall in love with Life Day. <gasps> oh, my gosh. <laughs> That is the most ridiculous. Beautiful. Ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Then that's the main, what's the term? Like the main process of the movie is Kared, you know, redirects the hyperspace lane to come through the bean. The, the yeah. bean. The bean. The bean. The bean. <laughs> okay. <sighs> I I said he contacts the New Republic. You said he convinces the Imperial Remnant to adopt Life Day. That's a tough sell. Walk me through that. Is it really that hard of a sell? From a Star Wars perspective, yes. Yeah. Unless he just starts sharing Life Day traditions and memories with, like, stormtroopers yep. and stuff. But they've been abducted as children, so they wouldn't have any of those. No, but he shows them what they've been missing all along. Okay, 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 okay. And guess what the primary message he has for them is? Is it that there's no more important thing than love and life day? That's it. I'm learning. I'm learning, James. I'm learning so much. Yep. <laughs> and then in there, there's probably got to be like some, like, Ido's got like a best friend. Okay. That's been single and looking for love her whole oh, life. Oh, no. guess who she falls in love with? Oh, and we're also forgetting, guess who used to be part of the Empire? Kick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he helps. Oh, of course he helps. He's been a good guy ever since, like, the first movie. Yeah, but he didn't trust Kared at first. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so that's part of why Kared needs Kick. Explain how that works. So, like, in order for Kared to get let in, like, Kick has to let him in, basically? I guess, uh -huh. I guess they all kind of do, but Kick... In particular, but yeah, and then Kick needs to get in on the plan too to convert them into Life Day people. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, that's in my notes now. You just <laughs> mentioned Inno has a best friend. Yeah. Male, female. Female. Okay. Who is single? You said. Yep. Okay. Tell me about her. What's up? She's been looking for love. She's been lonely on Life Day. Okay, and I think I know where this is going, but what is sort of the solution, the resolve of that? She falls in love with one of the Imperial Remnants people. Oh, that is not where I actually thought it was going. Oh. I thought you were going to say Kared. No. Kared falls in love with, I mean, who knows? That's part four. Oh. Anyways. We're doing a trilogy, James. <laughs> <laughs> That's for next year's trilogy. <laughs> this is becoming a saga. Yeah. Best friend falls in love with one of the Imperial Remnant people who discovers the importance of love and life day. Okay. But like, we don't see them actually become a couple. It's just kind of like, they start flirting a little there's, bit. Yeah, there's just like a real short conversation of them like, okay. Yeah, and then we might see like a picture in the post-credits montage. <gasps> yes. Uh, okay. There's kind of one more thing. There's kind of one more aspect of this story that's sort of sticking in my head, and it feels like it should be a, part of a Hallmark movie, but also this has got to be a part of our movie somewhere because there's a, there is one major character that we have not mentioned a single time in this movie, and that is our Elder Nelder. <laughs> 
She is uh, another year older. We can only assume even more frail and weak and dependent. She she has to do two things in the. I think narratively, she has to do two things in this movie. Uh huh. The first one is she's got to say the phrase, you know, there's nothing more important than love and life day. Uh huh. The second thing that she needs to do, in my opinion, is die. Yep. Right. That's not even debatable. Like that's not even surprising to hear. No. Okay. What is the mechanism of Nelder dying? <laughs> <laughs> and and when in the movie does this happen? Does she meet the baby, for instance? No, she doesn't. Okay. But she convinces them to trust cousin Corinne. There it is. Okay, okay, okay. Guess what she says to convince them. <laughs> I'm going to take a guess and say she mentions there's nothing more important than love and life day. How'd you know? There's a bit of a trope coming on here. <laughs> so I just kind of applied the same rule. Gonna it, On the plus side, I get to do a lot of copying and pasting. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> so Nelder convinces Kick and Inno to let Kared back in, but then she dies. <laughs> yep. As she's dying, she convinces them. She convinces them through her death. Whoa. It's like, it's like literally her dying wish. Yeah. Okay, that takes care of Nelder. <laughs> Let's see. That what takes care of Nelder. Uh, yeah, I use wow, that. Wow, that's cold. I use that term pretty intentionally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I'm trying to think if there's any other sort of loose ends. Let me just, real quick, like, read through this and see if anything sticks out that's missing. A year after the second movie, Inno is pregnant. The baby's due on life day. A lot of gender-typical behaviors like cravings and hormones. Kick is freaking out about being a dad. Kared returns to the planet Bean. This kicks off our drama. He has been exiled from the family, and they don't trust him for good reason. But he pleads that he knows how to save Life Day and the Bean Bar once and for all. Uh huh. They take their skepticism to Nelder, who is on her deathbed at this point. She, <laughs> she just happens to be there. She just happens, you know, to be dying right then. And she uses her last words to say there's nothing more important than Love and Life Day. This convinces Kick and Inno to accept Kared back onto the planet of Bean and into their family and to let him do his thing. What he does is explains that he has found Love and Life Day for himself or Love for Life Day for himself. And he uses his you know former influence with the Imperial Remnant on Bean to, first of all, to redirect the hyperspace lane from being bypassing bean to going straight to bean yes and then he the second thing he does is he convinces the entire imperial remnant on bean to love life day as well yep powerful speech from kick is included in that oh oh okay in the imperial remnant conversion yeah yes that i'm assuming that that is really sort of the conclusion the climax the happy ending right the the redirection of the hyperspace lane imperial remnant converts to loving life day because and that's as the baby is being born like the baby's birth is part of their conversion too whoa wait a second on life day how does that work are they i don't even know man like there's a powerful speech where like he shows the imperial remnant like here's my baby okay so the the baby's not born at the very very end the baby is born just before the end the conversion happens quickly okay okay with the help of kick and the new baby Whose name? Santa. Santa. Santa Brival. <laughs> Santa Brival. Oh, this is beautiful. I got chills. The baby is born just before this moment. So, like, we would have to have it where, like, Kick is at the hospital or the the med bay. It's Star Wars. And is that what they call hospitals in Star Wars? Yeah, the the medical bay. Ugh. Yeah. So Kick is at the med bay because his child is being born. And then he immediately takes the child from the hospital to go show Imperials a his <laughs> new baby. That sounds like a really good idea. He's a great dad. I love it. That's that's good. Also, the doctor says something after the baby is born that is cheeky enough to get them to look at each other and get excited about a fourth movie. <laughs> <laughs> that will I'll, I'm gonna write in my notes that will never happen. Never. And then the last bullet point I have is that Inno has a best friend who is single and looking for love. She's lonely on life day, and she falls in love with one of the Imperial Remnant people. Uh-huh. We don't really see this, but we get a glimpse at least. So that's the that's the end of the movie. 
my last question here as we wrap up tonight is, is there any kind of quick epilogue? Is there like a, like a four months later or is that, you know what I mean? Or one year later, baby's first life day. And it's like kick is successfully running the bean bar. Inno is a happy mom. They visit Nelder's gravestone and it's like got like a little wreath on it. See, I think that can be done through like the slideshow during the credits. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Slideshow during credits. Give me just a bulleted list of like, what are those images? It's kick running the bean bar and it's like super festive and successful. Uh huh. Inno has got the baby and they're visiting Nelder's grave. <laughs> <laughs> they're, yep. they're, they're decorating Nelder's grave for life. Yeah. Okay. What's Coret up to? What's the cousin doing? He's got some important role with the family in the bar. He's like uh he's like a busboy for kick. He's a bouncer. <laughs> he's a ba- they the bean bar never needed a bouncer, but ever since yeah. this new hyperland opened up. They have so much business. There's a line. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Also, Coret is proposing to Inno's best friend. Okay. Uh, is it successful? Because <laughs> he, she was talking. She's slapping him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, because I mean, we had her talking to a different Imperial Remnant person. Oh, that's right. I'm, I'm mixing up my plots here. So yeah. Ino's friend is getting proposed to by an Imperial, the Imperial guy, Imperial Joe. Yeah. Should we assume like when they fall in love with Life Day that they kind of abandon their Imperialness? Yeah, I think that's fair. But more Imperial people come and like convert to Life Day. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what about, I mean, we can just show like the city of Life Dayton is just kind of booming. Yeah. Because of Life Day spirit. That's right. <laughs> Anything else? I mean, maybe there's like a a cool like a cool shot would be like there's like a New Republic ship at the spaceport just to show that they're like getting plugged into like the real economy for the first time and whatever. Yeah. Maybe a shot of like Ido rocking baby Santa with the force. <laughs> like he's floating in the air. I like that. Yeah. Or like Inno is like playing with the kid, like using the force. Like I like that. Yeah. Let's make that a different thing from Nelder's grave. Let's just show Nelder's grave by itself that's decorated. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's so brutal. <laughs> oh, we should have um, the baby is using the force. Yes. Beautiful. I like that a lot. There's a New Republic ship parked next to the Nightingale. <laughs> I love it. Any other credit uh, images that you want to show off? As the audience is clapping and <laughs> and crying and crying and just falling in love with Life Day, <laughs> should we? Do we have any like Force Ghost? <gasps> A Nelder Force Ghost. Yes. Oh my gosh! Forget Nelder's gravestone. That was always bad. With Anakin and Qui Gon. Yep. Mm-hmm. Nelder, where where is Nelder's Force Ghost? You get the Bean Bar. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's so funny. Any other any other last parting shots? I think that does it. I think it ends with the the Nelder Force Ghost. I like that a lot. I like that. Sweet dude. It's gonna be great. Man, we've got a trilogy. <laughs> we're pretty much George Lucas. We're we're basically George Lucas. Incredible. No, we just need a Hallmark Howard the Duck. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> I love it. This is going to be, this is going to be great. It is. I'm excited. Me too. We're we're excited. (laughs) Very cool. All right. Well, as we wrap up the last part here, section three of three of Star Hall Wars Mork. (laughs) As we say goodbye to Inno and Kick and Nelder and Santa. (laughs) (laughs) do we have any sort of parting thoughts parting words closing thoughts about this process of doing a trilogy do i just have one thing to say to wrap it all up is like 
it's easy to get lost and distracted in all the details of plot, but like, there's really nothing more important than love <laughs> and life day. You stole my final words too. <laughs> well, happy life day, everybody. Happy love. Happy love. And life day. Happy love, everybody. Happy love. Destroy the Shield Generator is created by Joseph Jasper and James Walker. Our theme music is produced by Roy Thompson, who's better known as Royish Good Looks. You can support him through the links in our show notes. Join us next time on Destroy the Shield Generator. But until then, always remember... It's going to be great. <laughs>